Journey Solar. This. This. This is What's Up. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of the What's Up podcast with Marie Burquist and Connor Allen. What's up? Today, we're going to be interviewing Dustin Thompson from the Sierra Club Delaware chapter He was an integral part on a coalition of people that got SB2 bill passed out of Delaware that focuses on community solar. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of great information in this podcast uh, regarding uh, that bill. Uh, It's currently in the regulatory process right now. So they're kind of hashing out some of the, I guess, minor details that weren't necessarily fleshed out in the, the legislative process. So if you are listening to this from uh, state of Delaware or really anywhere across the country, give your local Sierra Club a call or you know reach out to them and, and see how you can help. Absolutely. So without further ado, here is our interview with Dustin Thompson of Sierra Club Delaware chapter. Thank you for joining us today, Dustin. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Before we get into our question and answers, we know that you had a lot to do with the Delaware Community Solar Act that just passed. But before we get into that, can you please really introduce yourself and your organization? Sure, yeah. So uh, my name is Dustin Thompson, Volunteer and Community Outreach Coordinator for the Sierra Club Delaware Chapter. Uh, we have uh, the Sierra Club Delaware Chapter has been around for right around the 70s, uh, so right around 50 years uh, operating here in Delaware. Uh, I am one of two staff. It's actually the first time in our chapter history that we have two staff, uh, thanks to our support from our amazing members. Uh, so I focus a lot of my time on obviously community outreach, building our volunteer base, and working. Uh, on renewable energy policy in the state of Delaware. Awesome. Yeah. So Dustin, with that in mind, how long have you actively been involved with the Sierra Club? So I was hired in July of 2019, but I actually knew uh, some of the folks that were with the chapter before that. So I've been kind of uh, working in collaboration with the club for a while. And how would you say that you started your career in sustainability and link up with the Sierra Club. So I feel like a lot of my life has kind of been driving in, in this direction. Uh, I am an, uh, what's called an elder millennial. Uh, so I grew up on like Captain Planet and Magic School Bus and all of these kind of science and earthy uh, kind of hippie shows. You're uh, in good company, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was brainwashed as a child to want to save the planet, I guess. Uh, but I, I grew up in, in Western PA in a very rural uh, town and a lot of farm, a lot of mountain. And, uh, and so I was constantly outdoors from sun up to sundown. It's kind of run tearing through the woods. And so, you know, I grew up in nature, around nature. Uh, I've always kind of been very at home out in the, out in the middle of nowhere. And so um, when I decided to change careers, I was actually a massage therapist for 12 years, uh, a little bit longer, actually. And um, when I decided to uh, kind of shift focus, um, you know, it was kind of, what do you want to do? And that has kind of always been on my mind, right? How do we ensure that the planet's going to be a safe and habitable one for future generations? And you see all the devastation around you. And, and I think, you know, when you're brought up as I was, you feel obligated to do something about it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fantastic answer. Um, you know, and, and with that in mind, you know, 
I guess, really what got you interested in, in joining the Sierra Club and kind of on this path in the first place. But, you know, I guess in the past, you know, and when you've been working, you know, in Delaware or maybe a little bit in Pennsylvania as well, um, have you seen, you know, a lot of increased development of, you know, renewables, solar, wind? Yeah, so solar is still pretty good, uh, whether that's good or bad, but it's pretty good at being hiding itself. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, I know in, in some parts of PA, you definitely have uh, some some on land wind uh, development. Of course, Delaware, we have one turbine down at the University of Delaware in Lewis. Uh, aside from that, you would never know. And unless you're right there on it, right, you wouldn't even know it's there. Uh, you know, I feel like solar to, a, to an extent, maybe a little bit lesser of an extent in Delaware is also, unless you know where to look, you're really not going to see it, uh, aside from maybe some rooftop solar. Um, I've seen some, you know, two megawatt size systems, which is, you know, substantial, right? 12 acres of land about, but it's completely hidden unless you know where to go. You're, you're never going to cross paths with it. Now that's probably going to change as we kind of develop, but over the past few years, even with all the solar that's been installed or over, over 130 megawatts now, you don't really see it. So. Yeah, that's a great answer. And one that we hear a lot, it's definitely a hidden energy source. And then as it gains more popularity, then you're passing. I mean, when we go south, it's like a whole different area. One, because it's more rural, but you know, you see fields and fields of wind turbines, and then you come across fields and fields of solar panels. It looks like SIA says that it's going to grow and just explode in the next five years, or it's estimating that to happen. Yeah, something we're definitely going to have to uh, to educate folks on. We're doing a lot about that now. We had a 50, sol- 50 megawatt solar plant down in Kent County that raised a lot of folks' uh, concerns, a lot of misinformation going around. Obviously, in, in anything, you're going to have a little bit of some, you know, not in my backyard folks. But, you know, we're, as that shift happens, our job's going to be double time to make sure folks kind of understand what's going on. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I can, I, I've attended, you know, a, a pretty fair amount of, you know, county board meetings in the past for mostly solar projects. But what, back when I was in college at the uh, Illinois State University, I attended some for some of the wind turbine fields that were going up around, you know, the town of, of Bloomington. Uh, and, I, you know, a lot of that resistance, you know, everybody, everybody I always talked to in those meetings was always, yeah, I love wind, I love solar, but you know, I just don't want to see, yeah, yeah. Put it, put it somewhere else, put it in, you know, Nebraska, put it wherever, why can't it be there? And it's like, well, you know, that's not really how, that's not really how the electric grid works, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's great. I mean, like Marie had mentioned too, um, you know, I think it was upwards of 400 megawatts is what's projected just in the state of Delaware in the next five years. Um, so obviously that's, you know, that's substantial growth. No, with that in mind too, Marie, I know we have, you know, we wanted to discuss a little bit uh, more uh, about Senate Bill 2 that recently uh, passed through in Delaware as well. I know this bill was mostly designed to eliminate barriers uh, to community solar and really get those types of projects, you know, uh, up and running. Uh, Can you, do you have any more insight for us on maybe how this bill does that and how it eliminates those barriers? Yeah, sure. So there was a number of things that we kind of identified in the current code that were real barriers to the industry uh, really coming to Delaware and seriously looking at Delaware as, you know, as a player in the game of community solar. Uh, Just as a couple examples, one of the barriers that we had to deal with and was a lot of negotiation was the fact that our current, well, not our current code, our our previous code uh, basically required that uh, the community solar and individuals partaking of community solar are on essentially the same circuit line. 
And so uh, for most folks, that's just not possible. Uh, where there is area for community solar size projects, you're not gonna have the type of infill development where you're gonna have folks that are on the same circuit for the utility service. And so uh, you know, that was a, a huge obstacle, right? Then for companies to come and develop here in Delaware. We also had a size limitation. It was only two megawatts. Um, I know some states have been able to make that work. Uh, we were not able to make that work in Delaware as shown by the complete lack of community solar project. And there were you know, a few other barriers as well that, uh, and concerns that had to be dealt with from the utilities and stakeholders that weren't necessarily spelled out in the code and the lack of spelling it out was mainly the concern. Um, like, what would you do when community solar project wasn't fully subscribed? What, what happens to the extra energy, right? Issues like that. So uh, we had a panel, I would say probably around 18 of us or so, uh, convened by Senator Hansen, who, you know, we basically presented our uh, proposal for community solar and then just kind of went from there uh, to make sure everybody's concerns were addressed. And at the end of it, you know, we uh, came together with a bill that you know a year or two prior everybody probably would have said was not possible to get to uh, that kind of consensus so uh, very proud of the work senator hansen and all of us did on that yeah i mean and and that's uh i appreciate the the overview on that um and i want to actually take it back to you know the first part of your statement there so can you can you help me define and really the listeners define what what you mean by circuit do you mean like you know same utility same you know local transformer is it a physical or more of like a paperwork kind of issue no it is a physical yeah uh so you're talking about actual service from the substation so uh you had to be relatively close proximity depending on you know what part of the delmarva service territory because this really just deals with delmarva um, we have three utilities in the state of Delaware. We have the electric co-op, we have the municipal energy corporation, and then we have Delmarva. Uh, so the co-op uh, known as DEC and municipal energy corporation known as DMEC, uh, they have their own community solar programs already in place. Uh, and because they're not regulated by the PSC, they're able to figure out a system that works for them. But because Delmarva is not really allowed to own any generation assets, uh, they were not able to develop any kind of model for community solar. And so we were really focused uh, in that territory. Gotcha. So, so, so if the utility company wanted to set up a community solar program, um, would it be, I guess, vertically, would it be their asset or would it be a privately owned asset that, you know, ties into their existing grid? So in Delmarva territory, uh, it is the latter. It's a privately owned asset that is into their distribution transmission network. In DEC and DMEC territory, it is generally owned by the utility. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, you know, in, in the state of Illinois, we have, I guess we have more of a, uh, of a deregulated market where, um, you know, quote unquote deregulated, where, you know, you can choose third-party suppliers, community solar, whatever, you know, supplier you want. Um, so I was just trying to draw some parallels to that. <laughs> Yeah, very, that's kind of the situation with Delmarva. So you mentioned Senator uh, Stephanie Hansen as one of the big proponents for this bill. And um, I have an article that uh, we actually found you from. And then also Senator Hansen was quoted in saying, and I'll link it below, but she was quoted in saying, if you're only allowing solar installations, but they're on rooftops, 
you're missing a large part of the population that might otherwise really want to benefit from community solar and benefit from lower costs of electricity. Can you give us an idea of what you see driving around Delaware and why this would make community solar so important to residents? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of solar, what you see driving around Delaware is, uh, in, t- in particular in terms of rooftop solar, I should clarify, is that you see it in upper income, maybe some moderate income neighborhoods, uh, thanks to the grants from our, our environmental agency, DENREC, and the green energy fund that they administer to help moderate income folks afford solar. Uh, but low income has always been the struggle. They really, you know, driving through the city of Wilmington on the old builds and certainly in, in low income communities as well, uh, you don't really see solar installations out there. Uh, you do see it in kind of around the outskirts of uh, Wilmington, some of the higher income areas. Uh, you definitely see a lot of solar p- penetration, but uh, you're still missing a huge uh, subset of the population. Uh, you're missing low income in terms of any access to any solar, right? And, and DENREC and, and others are working on that to provide solar to low income residents 100% covered. But, you know, there's also the subset that don't own their roof. They don't own their home. Uh, they live in an apartment, condo, or, or just a rented townhouse. And then you have folks like me that had, uh, you know, lived in a townhouse with a flat roof, that unless I replaced, you know, the 1950s original roof, there's no way that any solar company is going to install on my roof, right? So, uh, and that's, you know, you're adding thousands and thousands of dollars to the cost of the project that nobody's covering. So really community solar was directed at, well, what do we do with these folks? Like, what are the options for them? And, and if you were in Delmarva, there were no options. You didn't have any options uh, when it came to renewable energy. And so what we want to see driving around, of course, is, is everybody having equitable access to, uh, you know, they can put solar on their rooftops if they own the rooftops. But what, we, what you're not going to see is all the folks that are going to be also participating in community solar. And so uh, before there were, you were either in DAC or DMAC territory, and then you had an option. Now you pay a premium in those territory, you pay $10 extra a month. But uh, for Delmarva, what we're trying to drive at and, and what we've done with this bill is to focus on lowering energy costs. How do we help those folks not only have access to renewable energy, but the savings of renewable energy, particularly when you're talking a larger scale utility project like uh, community or a solar project like community solar. And so um, the uh, focus the whole time was you have this subset, how do we reach them? And that was the driving force of the conversation. Yeah, and that's something that we see a lot. And time and time again, we talk with a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations about their low-income programming. And a lot of the times it does start with the same exact thing. Community solar is fantastic, but when you strip away down to, okay, people buying into, usually there is that premium. So it's not helping those that are living in multi-unit houses or a shared rooftop So I love that when you're taking a look at this bill, you guys really put a lot of focus on that to really help the people that need the help. And that's often the differentiation between utility owned and these private solar companies that do community solar. You tend to have discount rates because it's completely voluntary, right? You got to make it kind of worth their while. They can already do third party supply if they want to pay more, right, for solar energy. 
Um, but how do you bring the savings of solar to those folks like you would have if you had rooftop solar? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and so with, with that in mind, to kind of drill down a little bit more on the savings, you know, I don't know if this, this might be a little too premature to ask this, but um, on average, you know, if did, when you guys were crafting and, you know, looking and uh, essentially setting up this bill, um, did you did you have any statistics on how much, you know, the average, you know, homeowner would save or, you know, somebody living in an apartment would save on their electric bill if they, you know, switch to community solar? Yeah, so we were talking uh, the whole time. Some of the folks that helped draft this came from the Coalition for Community Solar Access, uh, CCSA. Um, and we were in conversations with them and they were a part, you know, they were at the table on the panel that I had told you about earlier to make sure when we were crafting the bill, we weren't crafting in a way that was going to land us back in the same spot, right? Where you either pay more or you don't really have any options. And so when we were talking about how do we handle excess energy, when we we're talking about bill crediting, all of these things, it was all designed so that at the end of the day, you'd still have at least a 10% savings uh, with the bill credit that you get from community solar or more. And so everything we did, we tried to make sure that the projects with pencil that you would get a, a decent savings. If, if their customers are saving, you know, you know, around 10% each month, um, you know, is there, um, is there, I guess, an incentive for the electric company to, to set up community solar, you know, to, to expand upon this? Yeah. So the utility, so again, we're only talking about Delmarva. Delmarva would not be able to operate their own community solar project. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So there's no, there's no incentive on the utility side uh, at all in, in this. Um, now in terms of uh, the community solar energy, uh, you know, they do get the excess energy at wholesale costs, uh, anything past that 10, past 10% 10 unsubscribed energy. Um, so the, it's not to say the utility doesn't and the ratepayers don't benefit at all, um, particularly if uh, you know the a, a project loses maybe an anchor tenant or something like that that was getting a substantial portion of the bill or of the power. Um, so they're going to go out and try to find because they're not making good money on that return, right? The community solar projects so they're going to go out and find a subscriber to take off that energy for sure. In the meantime, though, Delmarva does get uh, you know really good priced. Uh, homegrown electricity. So, I mean, not to say there's no benefit, but in terms of incentives for the utility to uh, create their own project, they wouldn't be able to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Th thank, thank you for clarifying that. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's interesting when we've worked with community solar projects in the past, it's, uh, you know, if, if you, if you as a private company is setting this up and you do lose that anchor tenant, it's, you know, you're definitely, that's your incentive to go out and find a new subscriber. <laughs> so tell us, and you kind of alluded to it. So since the bill has passed and it looks like it passed around the September time, uh, what changes, if any, are you seeing in solar developments? Uh, so the regulations, uh, the first draft of the regulations was just, um, had the comment period closed on November 1st, and there will be a hearing to kind of review those comments on the 17th um, at the Public Service Commission uh, meeting. Uh, so Delmarva has started taking uh, interconnection applications. Uh, that started on November 1st as well, and there was quite an influx of, uh, of applications. So we're seeing a lot of pent up interest uh, in community solar for, for sure. Uh, so we, you know, we expect that the normal attrition rate is going to apply in, in, in Delaware as it has everywhere else that 
you know, a small percentage of those uh, that influx is actually going to be built. Uh, but even still, you know, you have a few hundred uh, applications, even 10, 15% of that uh, getting approved at one time is, you know, that's pretty substantial uh, growth in a short period of time just by opening this door with this bill. Uh, and we expect to see that growth kind of continue uh, year over year, as we've seen in, in residential and other sectors. That's absolutely phenomenal. A project's not a project until interconnection gets filed, right? <laughs> so that's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, with, with that in mind, too, with, with all the, you know, hopefully upcoming development, um, now that this bill, you know, it's, it's, you know, now that this bill is reaching, you know, obviously towards uh, completion really here, um, what, I guess, what are you in the Sierra Club in Delaware, you know, what is, I guess, really your next step? You know, are you pushing for further legislation? Are you lobbying for more, uh, you know, more solar growth, I guess? Can you, can you give me a good idea of what you guys are looking to do? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, right now the job isn't done. Uh, yeah, we still yeah. have the regulatory process that we got to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, cause that, you know, the, the bill kind of outlined more or less the vision and a lot of, uh, specifics that we wanted to make sure that nobody could kind of get out of like the low income provisions. Um, but in terms of, uh, consumer protections, a lot of that was regulatory, uh, in terms of how do you qualify as, you know, low income and how do you, how do, uh, how are companies held to account to make sure they consistently have that 15% requirement met? You know, all of that is being, uh, handled via the regulatory process. And so we're still really focused on making sure that we have one of the strongest programs, if not the strongest program in the nation, particularly when it comes to uh, that hard line of getting uh, low income customers to be able to take advantage of this program and, and get those savings. Um, so we're, we're not losing focus on, on this task because not quite done yet. Um, but we're also in conversation of how do we expand solar? So now you've opened up this sector and in, in, in terms of community solar, how do we expand on the residential side? How do we bring equity into residential solar? Uh, to help low-income neighbors uh, get res- you know, rooftop solar. Um, and then we're having some issues with some locations in Delaware that have hit that net metering cap. Uh, so now we're looking at, okay, uh, you hit the cap. What does that mean, right? And what is the next step? And what do we, where do we go from here? And in the places that haven't met that, what do we got to do to make sure that when we start getting close to that, we have a plan to keep going forward? Because we can't just hit a cap and then say, oh, no more solar, right? We're never going to meet our climate goals if that's what we get, if that's what we do. We're never going to meet our RPS goals if that's what we right. do. Right. So uh, we have a, uh, uh, the, the same group that I mentioned before that started Community Solar uh, rolled into kind of an energy stakeholder uh, group with Senator Hansen. So we're working on that now. Uh, there's also a talk about a clean energy standard uh, in Delaware. Uh, so building upon the RPS to go even further to get to 100% uh, clean and renewable energy. Um, so we're uh, you know kind of in the preliminary discussions on that. Of course, kind of a little bit has to do with what, what if anything, the federal government's actually going to do on that front. <laughs> I kind of, I think changes pretty much every day or hour, maybe. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we're, you know, we're keeping an eye on that. Uh, but we still have a lot of work to do in other areas and areas of environmental justice. Uh, for example, there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that as, not only as we transition to clean and, and renewable energy sources and the jobs that those create, but that we're dealing with the historically polluted 
uh, and heavy industry uh, neighborhoods that have heavy industry and the gas plants and coal plants and the oil refineries and all these kind of uh, things and, and, and any new industries that come in that threaten these neighbors uh, to make sure that they're protected as well. So, you know, it's multi-pronged approach, so to speak. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you're, you were definitely right by saying the job has just started. We can't thank you enough for giving us your time and, and going through all this stuff so thoroughly. Uh, community solar is definitely one of the hottest topics that we have on here. But before we let you go, can you share where people can connect with you and or uh, Sierra Club Delaware? Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to just take a moment because, you know, I, I've had so many people like, oh, that's a great job, whatever, you know, and that, I appreciate that, you know, but this was a monumental team effort. Uh, so the Sierra Club is part of a, a coalition originally called the RPS Coalition, but we're, we've recognized that we work on way too many things to just be called that. And there's like 38 different member groups in that. And we, we all pushed on this and we all made this happen. So anybody that happens to hear this from that group, you know, thank you. And, and, you know, really kudos to everybody on this project being uh, brought to completion in terms of connecting with the club. Of course, we have a website, right? Sierraclub.org slash Delaware. Uh, but we're pretty active on social media as well. Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, if you look up Delaware Sierra Club, uh, it comes right up on all of those platforms. Um, and so definitely, you know, connect with us on there. We always put our events out there. Uh, and, you know, you can sign up for our e-newsletters e uh, that we send out at least once a month with all the events that we're doing, either with partners or with, with ourselves. Um, you know, we have a tree planting, for example, coming up on the 20th of November. Uh, so that's up on our website right now. So, you know, just sign up and, and show up and we'll get you. There's plenty to do. So don't worry about that. We got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dustin. And we can't wait to see what more comes from uh, Sierra Club Delaware and, and even yourself and your team. So thank you. To learn more about GRNE Solar and the WhatsApp podcast, please visit grnesolar.com slash or find us across social media at Jeremy Solar or on Instagram at the WhatsApp Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Sustainable and Renewable Energy major at Illinois State University. It was the first interdisciplinary renewable energy program in the United States. The program teaches students how to address the social, economic, and technical sustainability issues that graduates are likely to encounter across a wide range of careers.